Hi, welcome to Forever Paranormal with Dr. Bill and Deb. The term paranormal refers to phenomena and experiences that are beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding and cannot be easily explained through traditional scientific principles. These phenomena often challenge conventional beliefs and are associated with the supernatural, metaphysical, or unexplained aspects of reality. As with any field of inquiry, it is essential to approach the paranormal with an open but critical mind, relying on empirical evidence and logical reasoning to draw conclusions. It's a topic that continues to intrigue and challenge both believers and skeptics alike, and if we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. You'll be surprised by what all can be connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Please just reach out. Well, hello there everyone, and welcome to this week's episode, where we are going to discuss Valentine's Day. Yes, you heard me. Valentine's Day. No, we're not talking about cards, canes, flowers, and romance, but rather a darker side, including death, murder, ghosts, hauntings, and curses. Hi, Deb. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? You good? Yep, I'm great. So, what do you have for us this week? In the spirit of Valentine's, I thought I may mention some not-so-common traditions for the day from around the world. In Japan, women are the ones who give chocolates to men. Ooh, I like Japan. <laughs> Spoons are a token of love in Wales. But there mm-hmm. is no spoon. Anyway, we all know how Germans love pork, right? Oh, yeah. Well, they love it so much they exchange pigs on Valentine's Day. Not real ones, but keepsakes like we do with cupids. Oh, okay, so they're not doing wife swapping or anything. (laughs) No. Back in the day, France would hold a matchmaking lottery where they would shout at each other from houses and then pair off. And surprise, surprise, men had the option of ditching their date if they didn't like them. In South Africa, women literally wear their heart on their sleeves by pinning the name of their love interest to their shirts. So, if anyone is tired of the normal roses and chocolates, take a page from another country or start your own new tradition. Either way, hope it is a great day for all of you. Okay, well, but, but, when most people think about Valentine's Day... They do think about dinner, flowers, cards, and all kinds of mushy stuff. Or they simply become extremely depressed, depending on your status. Well, we're here to take you into a completely different direction for your Valentine's Day pleasure. Like many of the things we celebrate nowadays, this too started with a violent pagan tradition that was celebrated by the Romans and was called Lupercalia. From February 13th 
to the 15th. The Romans threw a lavish fertility celebration. The festivities began when an order of Roman priests, the Lupercy, gathered in a sacred cave and sacrificed one goat and one dog. The goat was sacrificed for fertility, and the dog was sacrificed for purification. The priest would cut the goat hide into strips, dip the strips in sacrificial blood, head out to the streets of Rome, and start slapping any woman or crop they found with the blood-soaked strips. I wonder how it was determined that these specific animals should be used. I'm not really sure. And, but I do know, you've heard the saying, horny is an old billy goat, right? No. And then dogs are just loyal and pure. So maybe that's how. I don't know. I have no clue. But we can look that into that at one time or another. Just not right now. Okay. Okay. The women in Rome welcomed their butts being hit because it was believed to make them more fertile. They, they also didn't seem to mind being placed on the same level of importance as the fields of wheat and the things that would feed them. And yeah, in case you're wondering, everyone who partook in this festival was drunk and nude. The drunken three-day event was concluded when the Roman women placed their names in a big urn. The city's bachelors would then pick a name. And those two people would be paired off, and the new fertile woman would be with the man for the duration of a year. These matches often ended in marriage, but they weren't unions based on love or even some sort of commerce. They were perfectly random. What could be more romantic than that? So it's basically an ancient version of the TV show, The Bachelor. I don't know. I've never watched the TV show The Bachelor. Is that what they do? I, Get drunk and pull names out of the hat for the night? I haven't either, but there's plenty <laughs> of commercials where you can uh, make okay. your own judgment. <laughs> judgment. All right. Well, let's move on. Because, of course, our modern day understanding comes from the Catholic Church. When either Emperor Claudius had Valentine in prison for disobedience and the jailer beheaded him, for some action with the jailer's daughter, or it's one of the two other Valentines who were beheaded by Pope Galatius, the first who sainted the three and replaced the pagan celebration with a Christian event. So now, besides starting out as a pagan celebration, how do we tie St. Valentine's Day into the paranormal? Like we said, you'd be surprised what all can be tied to the paranormal. So let's start with the bloody and gruesome St. Valentine's Day Massacre. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre was a notorious event that occurred on February 14, 1929, in Chicago during the Prohibition Era. It was a brutal and organized killing that is often associated with the ongoing gang warfare between two prominent criminal organizations at the time. 
the South Side Italian gang led by Al Capone and the North Side Irish gang led by George Bugs Moran. On that fateful day, seven members of George Bugs Moran's gang were lined up against a wall in a garage at 2122 North Clark Street. Four men, two of whom were dressed as uniformed policemen, entered the garage and opened fire with Tommy guns. The victims were brutally gunned down in a hail of bullets. The massacre was meticulously planned to eliminate Moran, who was a rival of Al Capone. However, Moran happened to be late for the meeting at the garage and narrowly escaped the attack. The brutality of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre shocked the nation and marked a turning point in public opinion, increasing pressure on law enforcement to crack down on organized crime. In that year alone, 64 murders were related to the mob in Chicago. While Al Capone was widely believed to be behind the massacre, he was never officially charged or convicted in connection with the event. However, it seems Capone really didn't escape scot-free, as they say. It's said that the ghost of James Clark, who happened to be Bug Malone's brother-in-law, started to haunt Capone every single night until his death. After Capone was sentenced for tax evasion, the other inmates in Alcatraz would say they could hear him screaming for the ghost to go away every night. This ghost was attached to Capone and could go wherever he went? Apparently so. I mean, he chose to haunt Capone. I guess, I don't know why, but he did. He, he stayed with Capone and he went with him wherever he went. Like revenge? Yeah, I guess that was this ghost way of revenge on Capone. Hmm. Maybe he wanted to drive him nuts. I'm not quite sure. This spirit was bothering Capone so bad that before being sentenced... He even hired a medium to try and move this spirit to the other side. But clearly, to no avail, as Capone finally passed in 1939 due to complications from syphilis, eight years after he was out of prison. Knowing this does make me wonder, though, if Capone was actually seeing this ghost, or if his advanced syphilis created brain psychosis, which it is known to do. Do you know if he was evaluated for any kind of psychosis? I mean, maybe he was faking it in order to be taken out of prison? I think he was evaluated because he eventually ended up at Alcatraz. And I do know he was released due to some health stuff, I think. Or maybe he just did his time. I don't think he did, though, because he lived for eight years after he got out of prison. That's all I know. But, you know... This haunting doesn't stop here. Nope. The location where the mass and brutal killings took place is said to be extremely haunted. It has been haunted for years. And the bricks that were taken are said to bring people bad luck. What do you mean? Who who took them and why? A man by the name of George Patey ended up with all the bricks from the wall, had it taken down, numbered so he could reconstruct it and he was he put it in a bar for a while 
like in the bathroom or something like that, then his, his thought was he'd be able to sell it as a big chunk to some collector. But some of the bricks got taken during the time it was being demolished, and other bricks were stolen over the years. And, um, but he, he thought he was going to be able to sell them and make a fortune off these bricks. The majority of the infamous wall, though, now resides in the Mob Museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. But not all of them. It appears that about a hundred of them have been auctioned off to collectors or stolen or whatever. And Las Vegas was a hotbed of criminal activity when mobsters ran to casinos and pretty much the entire city. Their exploits are documented at the Mob Museum, renovated from the same downtown courthouse where many of these characters were prosecuted. As you can imagine, they weren't too happy about their jail sentences, and some say their spirits roam the halls after hours. The supernatural energy is especially strong near an exhibit dedicated to St. Valentine's Day. I'm curious, why would people say a spirit roams the halls after hours? Would a spirit really not be present any other time of day? Yes, they would, I believe. And I think the reason it is said they roam the hall after hours, that's when the museum is empty and quiet and workers and other people can observe them easier. But and they a, don't cause yeah. any problems throughout the day or anything? They may. I don't know. Hmm. They, they may. I'm not quite sure. But I, I do believe that they roam all the time. Okay. The bricks that the men had lined up on are said to bring people bad luck. It was said that the killings had caused the bricks to soak in negative energy, and that was pretty powerful. The bricks were sold for $1,000 apiece. However, many of the bricks had been given back because the owners had suffered from severe bad luck or financial ruin or both. Although the building is gone, the location where the killings took place is said to still be haunted. People have reported unusual mist and lights. People can hear men's voices when there is no one in sight or no one near the area. You can hear screaming from men and machine guns firing when you are near the site. People who are sensitive and stand in front of the fence may notice a sense of real fear. Even if these people walk by the area, they may notice a real sense of panic and fear. It's also said that animals have been reported to fear this area as well and won't go near it. But now, let's look at a few romantic relationships that have produced some great haunted locations and tales of the supernatural. The ghost of Edgar Allan Poe's first wife, Virginia Eliza Clem Poe, is said to haunt their Richmond, Virginia home. This is kind of a twisted tale, for you see, when she met and decided to marry him, she was not only Poe's cousin, who he referred to as Sissy, but she was only 13 years old, a mere child of a bride. She suffered from poor health throughout her life, and during the relationship, Edgar liked to sample the wares at the local watering hole. In other words... The man had a secret corral of side chicks, so to say, and Virginia was well aware of it. Despite her fragile health, 
Virginia was a source of inspiration and support for Poe, and he dedicated many of his works to her. Tragically, though, Virginia died of tuberculosis in 1847 at the young age of 24. Poe was devastated by her death and is said to have never fully recovered from the loss. Some believe that her death was the main inspiration for many of his dark and melancholic works, including the poems Annabelle Lee and The Raven. Of course, she died in the Edgar Allan Poe house. She, along with Poe, who's been spotted in all his famous haunts, loves to mope around the place and scare the bejesus out of tourists. But there is more to Poe's haunted locations, and it appears the Providence Athenaeum is one he likes to hang around due to Sarah Helen Whitman. Poe and Sarah Helen Whitman were both prominent literary figures of the 19th century. Poe was a famous poet and writer of short stories known for his dark and macabre tales. Sarah Helen Whitman was a poet, writer, and critic who was active in the literary and spiritualist circles of her time. The occult was definitely the thing, you know, the end thing during that time and era. The two met in 1848, a year after Sissy passed, and quickly became friends, drawn together by their mutual interest in literature and the supernatural. They had a deep respect for each other's work, and Poe was said to have been greatly impressed by Whitman's intelligence and wit. Poe chased, hassled, and completely made a nuisance of himself with Whitman, until late into their growing romance, and she finally accepted to wed the scalawag. But there was one condition. He had to remain sober until their wedding on Christmas Day, which was, in Poe's case, nearly impossible. Well, yeah. It would have been easier to ask him to stop breathing or grow an extra arm or something than to drop the gin and whiskey. Poe didn't keep his promise, and a heartbroken Helen refused to speak to Poe after that. Poe, ever the pragmatist and a man of his convictions, decided to double down on his liquid passions and drink himself to death. The man was definitely no quitter. <laughs> when he died eight months later, Helen was so distraught that she came to the Athenaeum to try to summon the spirit of her lost love. Well, it apparently worked because his spirit has been spotted at the library ever since. So a spirit can be in multiple locations or do they move around between them? I'm confused. Yes, a spirit can move around unless it's one that's so-called stuck spirit because it can't go somewhere because something else is holding it there or whatever reason. But a spirit being energy can move around and go different places or be in multiple places at once. Um, that's see. the way I understand it. Okay. This one is tied to many hauntings and all in one location. And that location is the Dakota in New York City. Located on the northwest corner of Central Park West and 72nd Street across the road from Strawberry Fields. If Strawberry Fields seems familiar, 
It may be because one of the Dakota's most famous residents was John Lennon. And of course, the song Strawberry Fields was a big hit for the Beatles. It is said that the spirit of John Lennon lives on in the Dakota apartments to this day. He was murdered in the archway of the southern entrance. Sometime after the murder, many people claimed to see Lennon leaning against the wall in his characteristic white flared suit in the stone archway where he died. He was seen by several people with an eerie light surrounding him. There was a great love between John Lennon and Yoko Ono, and they were inseparable. Yoko Ono said how one day she had found his spirit sitting at his famous white piano like it was just another Tuesday. He turned to her and said, Don't be afraid. I'm still with you. But did you know that Lennon himself had reported seeing some spooky happenings. He claims he saw a UFO from one of the windows of the apartment in the the Dakota building. He also repeatedly met a ghost he called the Crying Lady Ghost. She was said to be lurking mysteriously through the hallways of the older parts that were now expanded and modified in the building. We're going to circle back now back around to where we started for our last tale. This, of course, is the story of St. Valentine, who was a priest who lived in Rome during the 3rd century. He was imprisoned and eventually executed for performing marriages for Christian couples, which was illegal at the time since the Roman emperor thought that single men made braver soldiers. This act of bravery and devotion to love and marriage is said to be the reason why St. Valentine is now the patron saint of lovers. Another story is that St. Valentine was in fact a bishop who lived in the Italian city of Terni. He was imprisoned and executed for his faith, and while behind bars, it is said he had cured the jailer's daughter from blindness, and they developed a romantic relationship. And before his execution, he sent her a letter signed, Your Valentine, as a final goodbye, which is speculated as the reason why St. Valentine is associated with love and romantic messages instead of pagan debauchery. His ghost or spirit or his essence, however you want to say it, since Christianity isn't very fond of the whole concept of ghost, well, you know, except for the Holy Ghost, which is ours, I would think that it, it can be felt in various places throughout Italy, primarily where his body was buried in Via Flaminia, an ancient road that led to Rome, and in the Basilica of Santa Maria in Cosmodon, Rome, where relics such as his skull with a crown of flowers is exhibited to pilgrims to this day. I think that's a little more morbid than romantic, but anyhow. Well, yeah. Well, Deb, do you have any closing comments for us on this? Like any holiday, official or unofficial, the history and truth tends to be blurred, if not lost altogether. Looking back on the origins helps to bring the reason for the season, so to speak, back into focus. 
Yes, it, it does. And there's a whole lot of more romantic tie things like in Hollywood, stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I didn't really want to get into in this episode because I might want to save some haunted Hollywood stuff for its own episode. It might be pretty cool. Maybe. Yeah. But what about you folks? Anything to add or say mm-hmm. on this subject? Let us know. And thanks for listening. And until next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.